I'm Pastor Corey. For those of you who might be new, I'm an assistant pastor on staff here, and I have a great pleasure of um, being the music director and doing some other things around here, being the director of Advanced Men, which will actually talk a little bit about them in a little while, but um, I'm just honored to be here to share a quick word with you this morning. If you were here Wednesday night, we shared a word called sweat the small stuff, and and it may seem completely the opposite of everything you heard. We told them, forget everything you ever thought you knew, sweat the small stuff. And the context of sweat the small stuff was talking about purpose. Did you know that every single person born on this earth is born with a plan of purpose that God has put on the inside of life? And not only that, but they are, they are, created with an innate desire to pursue that purpose. Even if they're not doing it right now, even if they have great confusion surrounding what their purpose is, it is something in our DNA to, to basically answer the question, why am I here and what am I supposed to do about it, right? So we talked about purpose on Wednesday. We talked about Rick Warren wrote a famous book called The Purpose Driven Life. It was written in 2002. Do you know how many copies it sold? 30 million copies. It's the same number of copies that... Um, not War and Peace, Gone with the Wind, which was written in 1938, also has sold 30 million copies today. And also To Kill a Mockingbird, which was written in 1960, has sold 30 million copies. So what does that tell you about what people want to know about in our present culture? Since 2002, 30 million copies of Purpose Driven Life. So the great thing about this belief system that we have, following after Jesus, being Christians, is that there is a fundamental belief that says that every single person is valuable. God is, is involved and fearfully and wonderfully makes every single human being that comes into life on this earth. That should give us great encouragement because he's not a God who's just out there. He's a God that wants to live in our hearts. He's a God that wants to work in our hearts. He's a God who is, very, is, is as interested as we are in accomplishing the purpose that he's put in our hearts to do. The reason, we, the reason we talk so much about purpose is because, obviously, that book shows us that it's on people's hearts. But how many of you know there's great confusion surrounding this topic of, of purpose with lots of people? Have you ever sat across from someone who, maybe even through tears, said, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life? Everything I've tried has failed. Everything that I thought was going to work out didn't work out. And, they, and they're confused. And some people are pursuing what they think is purpose, but it's really just they're pursuing pleasure. And by the way, we were created with a desire for pleasure, and that's okay. God put it on in the inside of us a desire for pleasure. He, he also desired us to avoid pain, right? So it's in us. So it's not that there's anything inherently wrong with desiring pleasure. It's just where are you going to go to get it? And what we found that Wednesday night was the way to live a life of pleasure The way to live connected to God is to pursue first the purpose. And with the purpose then comes the pleasure. We talked about in Psalm 16 how it says his right hand are are pleasures forevermore. That as you pursue God, he then is the best person in your life to then give you the promises, to give you the pleasures that you innately are trying to seek after. But he does it in a way that doesn't compromise who you are. He does it in a way that doesn't distract you. He does it in a way that doesn't allow you to remain selfish. See, we're all born into this earth selfish. Babies are so adorable, but we're totally selfish because that's all we know. All we know is how are my needs going to be met? And so growing as a believer is learning how to begin to forsake self and to choose God, to choose to serve other people over God. So that's what we talked about on Wednesday night. And I really didn't have, you know, this idea that I would again talk about purpose on Sunday, but it wouldn't leave me alone. And as I was preparing Wednesday's message, Sunday's message was kind of coming unraveled at the same time. And I said, you know, let's talk about purpose again today, but let's talk about it from what God does. 
See, we talked about what we need to do. We talked about sweating the small stuff on Wednesday. And the small stuff are those character type issues that are so easy to overlook. They're so easy to forget about. They're so easy to avoid when they cause us pain or they cause us energy. Things like, well, I was telling you, I get to direct advanced men. One of the great pleasures of the things I do around here is to just serve the men in our church and to try to create a community of men encouraging one another. But most importantly, we decided from the very beginning, we do not want to be a country club. There's lots of other places to hang out. We're not going to be just a country club. We want to be a place that stirs the hearts of men to be influential. We believe that God has put in our hearts the, the accountable, uh, you know, he has made us accountable to him to be influential, to, to leave the world a better place where we go, to let ping, people know about the kingdom of God through our lives. And so what we did is we came up with a strategic vision that would really help us stay on course with all the things that we do in advance. They're always held up to this vision, which is we are going to be men that influence our church, our homes, and our communities through excellence, integrity, and generosity. See, excellence, integrity, and generosity, those are three character attributes. Those are three areas, categories, and under those things fall countless small stuff that you can either attend to or you can run from. But I tell you this, if you want to be a person of influence, be excellent at what you do. I mean, if you know someone who's very skillful, and because of their knowledge of skill or wisdom, people listen when they talk. You know someone who's absolutely loving, one of the most generous people you've ever met. How I many you know when they f- decide to speak up, you have ears to hear because they've proven themselves. People say all the time, people don't care what you know until they know that you love them, right? They don't care how much you know until they, until, and so it's, it's the same way. The excellence, integrity, and generosity open up the doors for us to be influential and to serve people and to make a difference in the world. So that was Wednesday night. But that's all about what we kind of have to step up at the plate and do. We have to be sensitive to those issues. We need to continually investing into character, investing in integrity, doing the right thing, being dependable, being faithful. Those are all things that God helps us, but we have to kind of step up to the plate and do. Today, when we talk about pursuing the purpose that God has for your life, we talk about what happens when God gets involved. This is good news. This is exciting because when God gets involved, things happen. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. Um, let's talk just for a couple minutes. Let's set this up. Human nature, right? We're born in the image of God. We're born with a desire for God, whether we realize it or not. We're born with a, with a propensity to want to worship something, to follow after something. It's supposed to be God. The old uh, philosopher, mathematician, Blaine Pascal, said that, um, that there's a, on the inside of us a God-shaped void. Have you ever read that comment before? A God-shaped void, a hole that only God can fill that he has created us with. And if we don't fill it with him, we try to fill it with other things, but it's like that pursuit of pleasure. It's just elusive. It's just when you think you got your hands on it. Now my life's going to be better, and then, ah, it just falls through your hands. And that's how it is when you're pursuing pleasure and not your purpose. So we're born in his image, but we're born, like we said earlier, we're born selfish. We're born immature, and that's okay. That's just because we haven't learned yet. But what happens is if we don't get on that journey of purpose, what happens is we can stay selfish, and we begin to try to accomplish that sense on the inside of us that we have a purpose, but we try to do it with our own strength. We try to size up our skills. We try to size up our relationships. We try to size what side of the tracks we came from, and then we try to judge, okay, I can do this. This will be, but, but, but God's vision, I flat out promise you this, God's vision for your life is way bigger than you are. It's way bigger than your abilities, and he did it on purpose because he designed it to need him. He wants to be involved in the purpose, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, we have a sin nature. Have you heard people say that before? We are born into this earth with a sin nature. Sometimes people will get offended and say, how in the world can a little bitty cute baby be born a sinner? Like, what up with that? Baby hadn't done anything wrong. How can a baby be a sinner? 
That's not the point. The point is, and, and Pastor Pam helped me years ago. She said this in a message, and I just latched hold of it. She said, being born into sin nature is like being born into communist Russia and being a communist. It's not that you did anything. It's just about what, you, what system that you were born into. We were born into a sin system. So we have a sin nature. And that's why what happened was our, we were created to be governed by our hearts. We are created to be governed by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. But what happened is because of sin in the Garden of Eden, there became a wedge between man and God. And so there immediately had to become rules. The Garden of Eden, there's one rule. Don't touch my tree. Everything else was good, right? There, was, there didn't have to be any rules because the heart of man was good, right? He was created in God's image. But he did have that free choice that God gave us. Maybe you're like me and you think sometimes, I don't know if that was such a great decision, God. But he gave us that free choice to either choose him or to choose us. And the root of sin is self. That's really when you think about sin, what you're thinking about is anything that chooses yourself over what God says is sin. So what happens is the moment that we begin to walk out in that sin nature and we were born with it, so what happens is there has to be laws. There has to be rules because our heart should have been able to motivate and govern us, but because of that sin nature, we don't always know what to do. And so God has put laws in this earth. He put commandments in our Bible. We live in a, in a country where there's tons and tons and tons of laws and rules. Have you noticed they just, there's tons of them all the time. There's rules. Let me, I found a couple of funny ones online. I, I believe these are true. Uh, I mean, don't hold me to it, but I cross-referenced, tried to make sure I wasn't telling you something crazy. Anybody read anything crazy on the inter- internet ever? I'm not the only one, right? But I believe these are true. These are these like crazy little laws that have still ended up on the books of different states' constitutions, right, that no one's apparently, you know, no one's even thinking about, but nonetheless, they're on the books. And the reason they're on the books is because at some point in time, there had to have been a reason to have the rule. Let me give you some. In Wyoming, you may not take a picture of a rabbit from January to April without an official permit in Wyoming. I know. So just before you're traveling to Wyoming, call me. I'll, I'll, I'll fill you in. In Nebraska, donut holes may not be sold. In West Virginia, no children may attend school with their breath smelling of wild onions. In California, it's not so bad, actually, this one. In California, it's forbidden to spit on the ground within five feet of another person. Again, great rule. Kind of would like to know why they had to write that down, but what kind of spitting was getting out of hand? I don't know. And in Portland, Oregon, people may not whistle underwater. If you want to know one of the most repressive places in America to live, apparently it's Portland, Oregon, because you can't even whistle underwater there. So we, you know, we laugh, and that's hilarious. But the reality is this. When people don't do the right things, then we have to create laws to remind them and the people who come after them what to do. And so we, get, and we become in this system where we're not morally governing ourselves anymore. Now we're just looking to the laws. And, and our nature is to kind of push that, right, and just to push up against that law as far as we can go while still remaining legal, you know. And so uh, John Adams was our, one of our founding fathers. He was the second U.S. president. This is what he said. That's a bit of a run-on sentence, so bear with me. I'll break it down. We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions. Now, these are human passions unbridled by morality and religion. So human passions that are not bridled by morality and religion, our government doesn't stand a chance to contain those. Avarice, which is extreme greed, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution just as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution is designed only for a moral and religious people. It is holy inadequate for any other. So do you see the problem? 
you see the, the problem that we have and that fact that our Constitution was written assuming that you and I would be morally governed in our hearts. They say religion. They mean right relationship with God, of course. But that the fact that, that God is the one who helps us know inherently in, our, in ourselves what is the right thing to do. So you can see we have some serious problems. You can see why we need to pray for our nation, not pray that better laws will be written, not pray that better, better you know, ideas will come about, but that the heart of man for revival, that the heart of man would be morally governed by God so that we wouldn't have to live because rules then, rules that initially begin to preserve freedom end up actually repressing freedom. I'll give you an example. Maybe some of you have even been in jail before, you know, I've visited lots of people in jail over the years that I've worked here. The very nature of how you view a jail cell has everything to do with what side of the bars you're on. Amen? I mean, I mean, to the person on the outside, jail is a good thing because it means you're probably detaining someone who would maybe try to come against my freedom or to come against my livelihood or come against my safety and security. But to the person in the jail, and things happen, and people in our church have been in jail, and hey, no condemnation, moving forward, new mercies every day, right? But some of us might end up in jail sometimes. And what happens is those bars that to some mean protecting freedom now just mean that you lost yours, right? And that's and so the nature of how we view ordinances, the nature of how we view laws, really has everything to do with the condition of our heart. And that's what we're going to talk about today when we talk about pursuing our purpose. The fact that the heart is the training ground. The heart is the place where God works to cause us to go in the right direction and to accomplish the things that he's already put on the inside of us to accomplish. So let me tell you this. I've got friends. Maybe you've got friends like this. I've got some intellectual friends. Anybody have any intellectual friends? They've got lots of reasons why we shouldn't serve God, right? But I love them anyway, and we, and we love to talk. And, and uh, what, many times, one of the most dominant things I'll hear is, oh, come on, your Christianity is nothing more than a system of rules and laws that are just designed to control people's behavior. Admit it. It's all about, you know, and they can, and they can use all kinds of things that did happen in history, and church history has not been spotless. We, of course, all know that. But they'll say, oh, this was just this group trying to get, or this group trying to get your money, or all the, you've heard it, I've heard it, you know. And so, but what happens is to people whose hearts are not in tune with what, how God is using the law, the law will seem repressive to some, and the law will seem freedom to others. Because God has given us the law to help us pursue him. He didn't give it to us to be a taskmaster. He didn't give us the commandments so that he could just lord over us and make us feel small. He did it so that we would, it would help us choose him because he knew we fundamentally had a heart problem as a result of sin that sometimes would create confusion, sometimes create in us an unsuredness, if that's a word, of what, how to follow him and how to be. So let me talk really quickly about the law. Let's just talk about what the law is because this will help you respond to these people and it also might help you deal with what does God expect of me in my life? Romans 3.20 in the New Living Translation says, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Come back, right? No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law is not a system of I's to dot and T's to cross so that you can get into heaven. The law serves to remind you that God has a standard and that when we abide by that standard, we live in freedom. When we push against that standard, freedom turns into oppression. 
And so God has given us the law to help us do what's right so that we can live blessed. Paul said this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 8, 9. We know that the law is good when used correctly. For the law was not intended for people who do what is right, but it was intended for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy. The, the California spitting law wasn't created for me because I don't go around spitting on people's feet. This is plain and simple, right? Laws are for people who in their heart, want to be rebellious and push against them. So we have to kind of draw a line in the sand and say, don't spit on people's feet in California. Maybe in another state, just not in California. So then the law, so then in Galatians, Paul says, why then was the law written? We've got a little progression going here about what exactly the law is for. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. We know that child course is jesus if you skip a couple of verses it says is there conflict then between god's law and god's promises absolutely not if the law could give us new life we could be made right with god just simply by obeying it but the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin so we receive god's promise of freedom there it is right there god's promise to use for freedom so this is all about freedom we receive god's promise of freedom only by believing in jesus christ and what did Jesus Christ do? Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. Jesus came to fulfill the intention of the law. What was the intention of the law? The intention of the law was to protect you. The intention of the law was to help you pursue God, even when your own heart didn't know how to lead you and guide you. The intention of the law was to, to convict a, a morally rebellious group of people and to help them, to give them a chance to move in the right direction and not have to live a life of oppression uh, because, of, because of disobedience or rebelliousness. So what we see is the law was given not for people who have a, a heart to serve God, but the law was given to people who don't. So, and then we see that Jesus came and he fulfilled us to keep us free. Now, human nature, I said this on Wednesday night as a bit of a teaser for Sunday, but I, I've just noticed that it seems like the kingdom of God is backwards sometimes. Have you noticed that? Have you ever noticed, like, just, you know, when you feel like maybe you're presented with a problem in your life and then you think, I'm going to do it this way, and then maybe someone gives you wise counsel or maybe the Holy Spirit even, you know, speaks to you in that way that you just know and it's like, that's not the way to do it. Actually do this. And you'll say, God, that's totally backwards. I mean, you told me I was going to do this, but if I go do that, then I'm going to miss this, right? Or, God, you told me that I was going to have the money to pay this bill, but you just told me to give that person my last 50 bucks, and how is that going to work? And, and we begin to walk around scratching head going, man, the kingdom of God is so backwards. I mean, it's like every time, just when I think I know what to do, it's like the Bible tells me to do the opposite. Some, for some of you, that might just be a word of wisdom. Just for right now, just do the opposite of what you want to do. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's not really like that. But why does it seem so backwards? And then the more I began to really think about this, I realized, wait a minute. What if we're backwards? What if human nature is to always fix problems from the outside in and not from the inside out? No judge about plastic surgery. No judge about weight loss, fat. We've all done it. We've all been there, whatever. But how many of you know, you look in the mirror, you don't like yourself. You say, I'm going to go get plastic surgery. I'm going to change the way I look. You know, you go to the doctor, you got symptoms you don't like, give me something so I don't feel those symptoms. You know, we have this kind of propensity for solving things from the outside in. And so when God, who is very much more interested in the inside out, and I'll show you why in a second, God says, no, I want you to do this instead. Well, if you don't know what he's up to, you're like, God, that's backwards. But he's saying, I, I 
change things the best by starting on the inside and fixing the outside as a result of what's on the inside. And so it's not really that the kingdom of God is backwards. It's that human nature is very backwards in the way that we try to solve problems. So let's talk about the heart for a second. Because, again, I've alluded to this. God is very, let me just tell you, God's interested in your heart. You know, God wants to work on your heart. God wants to have permission to rule and reign in your heart. Why? Because the, your heart is the command central for your life. When you talk about being on a, pur- a pursuit of your purpose, the very place that you come from, your foundation, your background, is going to be the condition of your heart. It says this, as a face, this is uh, Proverbs twenty-seven nineteen. as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. Many times you say, no, 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 I'm this. No, I'm not like that. I'm like this. Yeah, but your heart is. And so by definition of this scripture, you are what your heart is. So if you want to change who you are, you have to begin to invest into issues of the heart. Pastor John had a great message series called Affairs of the Heart a ways back. And you can find that online. Um, You know, might just be a great extended learning for you to deal with some of the issues of the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Well, wow, isn't that a good scripture for us? I mean, we're talking about pursuing the purpose that God has for our life. So Proverbs encourages us that, hey, guard your heart. It all starts right here. Guard your heart for out of it determines the course of your life. Proverbs 17, the crooked heart will not prosper. So if you have a desire to prosper, and don't we all? I mean, is there anybody here who doesn't want to prosper? I hope not. Our desire is to prosper because that's, again, something God's put on the inside of us. But the crooked heart will not prosper. That's why we got to sweat the small stuff. If you don't sweat the small stuff, your heart becomes crooked. You're still pursuing the same purpose, but you got no power. you got no ability to do it. You have no character that, that, that supports the pursuit that you're on. Matthew 12, Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. So again, we see the heart is this well that we draw from, and that all the issues of our life are. And then the psalmist said in one night, Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. So even the ability to not sin rests in the way that you invest and nurture the heart. He says, put the word, put your word on the inside of your heart. There's a scripture that I've had on, on the inside of my heart for a long time. And, I, and it's a very popular scripture. It's Isaiah 119. It says, the willing, and I'm sure you could finish it for me, the willing and the obedient will eat the good of the land. The willing and the obedient. Well, now when I think about pursuing the purpose that I has, that God has for me, I'm believing that it's going to be a good land. I mean, it's going to be like when God gave the promised land to his people and they crossed over, right? And all of a sudden he said, hey, look as far as you can see, it's all yours. I'll remove the inhabitants. I'll take care of it. The land of milk and honey, I'm, I'm going to like take care of you. That's, how I, that's what I picture running to when I think about pursuing my purpose. Because in the purpose that God has for me, there's going to be incredible freedom. There's going to be an, an incredible uh, provision to do everything God's called me to do. And I believe it's going to be a place of incredible pleasure because I think there's just nothing like locking in to the thing that God has called you to do. And so we see that. The willing and the obedient will eat the good of the lamb. Just like the jail cell, just like God's laws, how you view God's you know, expectations of your life and the things that he's showing you do has everything to do with where your heart is, right? Has everything to do with whether you're willing. And so today I want to tell you that there is a catalyst in your life that will absolutely unlock this pursuit of your purpose and not just you doing it, but God going with you and making a way. And do you know what that catalyst is? Willingness. Willingness is what we do. And then God does the rest.
Willingness says, all right, willingness gets up in the morning, puts your feet on the floor and says, listen, God, today I'm, about, I'm reporting for duty. I'm here to serve you. You know, we talked about people who might be confused and they don't know what, you know, they don't know what to do. The, their purpose is they say, just do this. Be pleasing to God and bring glory to God and do his word. That's a start. That's a place to begin because doing those things will not distract you from the purpose that God has. Doing those things will fulfill the purpose God has for you. And so that's what we do. We wake up in the morning. We say, God, I, to the willing person then, the things that God asks are liberating because we see them as keys that are going to unlock us into another level of the thing that he's called us. But in the heart, if our heart is rebellious, if, if we're not so sure that we're really wanting to s- subscribe to all of this, if we're really not sure we're ready to abandon our pursuit of pleasure, then the things that he shows us in our word begin to condemn us. Let me give you an example. For me personally, I, I can see the amount of willingness in my life evidenced by the amount of time that I spend in the word on any given day, right? Now, we all know I should read the word every day. We've all felt convicted before, like, yeah, I don't read the word every day, or I don't, don't do it enough. Listen, I'm in the same boat. Sometimes days go by, and I don't have a chance to. Life gets busy, whatever. But here's the thing. I see in my life, my willingness is oftentimes gauged by the amount of time I spend in the word. It's kind of a cycle. It's kind of a chicken before the egg thing, because when I'm willing to serve God, I'm hungry for his word. And I, and, I, and I treasure the time that I spend in it. And what happens is, as I spend time in his word, he softens my heart and he makes me even more willing. And then what happens is, as I'm in his word and as my willingness begins to escalate, what happens is then I can sense him coming alongside. I can literally sense him getting involved with the pursuit of the purpose in my life. Wednesday, we talked about things that, you know, we really got to do to kind of not sideline our pursuit of purpose. But today I'm giving you good news is that, that once you tap into this catalyst of willingness, God gets involved and he begins to work on the areas of your heart and he begins to help you with victory, pursue the purpose that he has for you. There's three things that I believe God gives us when we are willing to serve him. When we step up to the plate and say, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I want to be involved. I want to be a part of it. This is what I believe he does. Check this out. Romans 2, 14 to 15. Paul was talking about Gentiles. So even in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, when you see the word Gentiles, that just meant people who did not know God, people who were, did not have a covenant with God. When Jesus died on the cross, you know, we, unless you are of Jewish descent, we were all Gentiles. We are people who didn't have a covenant with God, and then Jesus died and grafted us into that covenant, and now we get to become heirs and his children. But in Romans 2, Paul said, even the Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it. Like some people, how many of you know moral people who are not believers, but they just are moral people? They do. They tend to do things that are good because that's coming from the inside of them, whether they subscribe to a belief system or not, right? So it says that they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them what they're doing right. Jeremiah 31, 33 kind of comes alongside and says, this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. When you become willing to journey on this noble pursuit of purpose, what happens is God stirs up on the inside of you his wisdom. We said law, but his law is simply his wisdom. It's the wisdom that points you to who he is. It's the wisdom that tells you the right way to run the race and the wrong way to run the race, right? And so what happens is you find that Pursuing your purpose doesn't mean, okay, well, I better go to the library and get 20 books, and I better become an expert on this, and, oh, I better, oh, what, you know, how am I going to do this? I don't have any background in this, and God's telling me to do this. No, no, no. It's about showing up to the plate. It's about being willing. And the first thing he does is he literally writes his law 
on our hearts. That means you already now have on the inside of you a moral compass to choose what's right and to, and, and to know what's not right so as not to get hung up pursuing the wrong things. So that's the first thing the, the Scripture says that we have on our hearts is written his law. The second thing is his desire. Check this out. Psalm 37, 3 to 5. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything that you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. I used to, of course, think, like many of you maybe, that, well, God's going to give me the desires of my heart. Woo! Looks like I found the right belief system. Whatever I come up with, he's going to do. Yay, God, right? But the Bible's saying that he literally is the God who puts desire on the inside of your heart. How many of you have, have reaped the consequences of chasing the wrong desire in your life? I know I have. So how, how much more valuable is it when God would come alongside your purpose and say, I'm going to put, I'm going to cause you desire. I said second service got a good laugh, so it must have resonated. Uh, how many of you would just wish that God would give you a desire for healthy food? I mean, we all know we're supposed to eat it, right? But not all of us love eating healthy food. So, God, if you would just give me a desire for healthy food, I would have so much more power in my pursuit of health, right? The good news is God, get, maybe he would do that. Ask him. Who knows, right? But, but, but what he does is when we're, we become willing, he puts his law in our hearts. And then what he does is he puts desire, fresh desire. And, and God doesn't try to frustrate us. He doesn't put things on the inside of us that we can't do. He doesn't put a vision in your heart and then say, you'll never get it. I mean, he doesn't do that. He puts things on the inside of us that are going to cause him to need him. But they're very possible because with God, all things are possible because he knows it's way more fun when you accomplish the seemingly impossible with him. Way more fun than just when you do what you could have done on your own. So that's the second thing he does. He puts godly desire. Some of you can't figure out why you keep doing the wrong thing. You know what? Just pray today that God would begin to change your desire. God, don't give me, just take away my desire for those things. Give me a desire that, that wants to protect and guard my heart. Give me, give me the desire to do things that are pleasing to you. Give me the desire to spend time in your words so that I can begin to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, like it says in Romans. And so those are things we can pray, and God will come alongside your vision, and he will deposit these things in your heart. Because, again, of the abundance of the heart, all the issues of life, right? So the third thing he gives you is his spirit of love. Check this out. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart. Boy, this is good news. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. See, that same heart that wanted to push up against God all the time? Come on, God. Come on, let me do this. Come on, just how much can I do and still be a Christian? How much can I do and still be forget? You know, that kind of heart takes that heart away, and he puts in a heart that says, I want you. I'm desperate. I'm hungry for you. And then in Romans 5, 5, Paul sums it up so easily. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. So when you are willing, I mean, it's as simple as just saying yes. Turn your brain off for a minute. Don't think about how is it going to come to pass. Just simply say, God, I believe you're who you said you are. I believe you have a plan and purpose for my life, and I'm in. And so show me what to do. And at that point, he says, great. And then he begins to get involved. He puts his instruction in your heart to keep you along your way. He puts his desire on the inside of your heart so you'll want to go after the right things. And then he puts his love, which is what he calls, the, it's just the Holy Spirit. He puts the Holy Spirit of love on the inside of us. And, and what you have in that package is the ability to pursue your purpose. 
the ability to run forward and not be frustrated, the ability to resist resistance, the ability to overcome uh, obstacles, the, the ability to put on your big boy pants and do the hard work sometimes when God tells you to forgive that person that you don't want to forgive or he tells you to go volunteer your free day at this thing because he wants to teach you something about generosity in your heart, right? But the good news is when we are willing, he comes alongside and begins to deposit these three things that are crucial to the success of your pursuit of purpose. I want to leave you with a very simple scripture that I hope ties it all together for you. Luke 12, 34, Jesus said this, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Where your treasure is. Believe it or not, we have the ability to choose what the treasure is. We have the ability to decide what our focus is going to be. The great thing about spending time in the word and becoming more and more willing and your heart getting tender is that you begin to treasure it. You begin to treasure the things of God. And what happens is where what you treasure, what you decide to put your focus on, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And what do we say about the heart? It's that command central. It's the very strength of your pursuit of your journey. And it's the parts that says, yes, God, I'm willing to, to follow you. And then God deposits his law, his wisdom, his desire, and his love on the inside of us. We hope you've been encouraged, strengthened, and challenged in your walk with Jesus. If you need prayer for situations in your life, we encourage you to email us at prayer at victorylafayette.org or call our offices at 765-447-7777. If you desire to make Jesus the Lord of your life or if you have drifted away from the relationship you once had, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me today. Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I receive the forgiveness for all my sins. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come into my life and empower me to live a victorious life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.